0: and welcome to Beheaded. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 13, Part 1. I'm Megan Moore. And I'm Elizabeth Black. Episode 13s are always
1: special for us. Yes.
0: We always do a two-part season finale if you're new to Beheaded, and it's usually a bigger story. Someone that you've heard of before. Yes. No, like some sorceress. From France. From France. (laughs) It's a, uh, you know, we love all of our stories equally, but there's just some that just have so much more meat on the bone and during very crucial times in history. And this is one of those stories, which we're very excited about.
1: We are. And this one, this season is especially important, this episode 13, yes. because
0: now we're legit. Because now we're legit. <laughs> are we historians? I mean, amateur historians, yeah. Like, you know, yeah. we, we dabble.
1: I feel like a new person. I feel like we've turned a corner. Yes. In our um, being just a, a little bit more legitimate than we were before.
0: I mean, we were always legitimate. We've just added some validation to our legitimacy, if that makes sense. If you live
1: under a rock, the previous episode had such a cool guest. Yes. Yeah, we had Dr. Owen Emerson on the
0: show. Oh, it was Wild. We've obviously teased that we were going to have a bigger guest throughout this season. And we've had some amazing interviews this season. And not just this season. We've yeah, had we've some had some throughout th- the whole time. But this season specifically. Good ones. We had um, James Peacock, the uh, founder and head of the Queen Anne Boleyn Society. Also friends with Owen Emerson Who was as friends well.
1: with Owen. We've had Megan Clawson, yes. um, Tower of
0: London resident and author of Falling Hard for the Royal Guard. Exactly. But this is the one that we've been trying to kind of nail down all season. And we knew we wanted to time it with the end of our season. Um, and obviously, he was in the middle of doing a lot of crazy recent research so yes it weirdly all worked out it weirdly
1: worked out and it's it, it must have been so hard because he couldn't share anything about this research right and as we talk about in the interview really big news in the world of history and not just Tudor history but like history, history in history. general <laughs> um Dr. Emerson with his co-curator Kate McCaffrey and Allison Palmer from Hever Castle they have found and identified Thomas Cromwell's Book of Hours. Right. Which is huge.
0: Which, like, it's been in Hans Holbein's very famous portrait of Thomas Cromwell forever, you know, since the 1500s. And it's a very distinct-looking book. And we talk about this in the interview with Dr. Owen Emerson, but it's like, what the heck? It's like, how, how would you not find this before? It's such a specific book. There's only three in existence. And... It's just shocking it took them, I think, this long to find. And they just found it on a shelf. Just happenstance. At Trinity College. Just was like,
1: uh, that's the same book as the portrait. Right. And of all places, yeah, it was sitting on a shelf in Trinity College. Mm -hmm. And Tracy Borman, we've talked a lot about her. She is a biographer of Thomas Cromwell. She's um, curator for the historic royal palaces. And it's, I think, what a... Not that it's just her. There's a lot of historians that are giving credit to Owen and Kate, but she recently came out with her latest book Mm -hmm. um, on Elizabeth First and Anne Boleyn. And on the front page, on the dedication page, Tracy Borman says, To Owen Emerson and James Peacock, with heartfelt thanks. Yes. And then later, Tracy Borman is just giving extreme gratitude to Owen and the others at Hever Castle for this amazing... She she posts, I think this is what's known as a pinch me moment. Thank you so much for letting me get up and close with this newly discovered book. Like, she's overly ecstatic. And right. It's just so, such well-deserved recognition. And I felt like such a little person that he would take the time to come and talk to us about it when he's busy on the BBC and h- holding press conferences, but mm-hmm. what a nice guy. And, and oh. I, you know, We're not little people. It kind of
0: makes me like, you know what, we're, we've got a platform. We're bigger people now. We're, we're
1: medium size. We're medium people
0: and <laughs> we're medium. you know the fact that her book is dedicated to two people that we've interviewed that we've on now this had season, on the show.
1: And I just feel incredibly grateful that after just a week of this being announced and doing all these other interviews and being there's already a documentary with Susanna Lipscomb about it that where yep. she
0: interviews him. And we were just watching it before our interview with Dr. Emerson and it's great because it's literally the date that they put on um is like June 20 uh thir- or 20 what's, it was what's like this? June
1: 2023 it was I was like it was what year just are we a cu- cu- it was just a few days ago and that's what
0: we were saying we're like we're literally still in June 2023 right now so it's yeah funny. it's very
1: fresh so mm-hmm. I'm so grateful that we I felt like we were You know, like, we I feel like a reporter who got, like, the scoop in the story and got it out there. It's a big deal. It is a
0: big deal. And we obviously preface with all of our guests, you know, we're like, hey, like, we don't know how many shows you've listened to of ours, but we're goofy. We're just, like, two people. We're not professional historians. We just have a passion for this. I am now. I'm sorry. I'm on a new
1: level now. (laughs) I'm actually putting it on my LinkedIn. Good, good.
0: Yeah, a little link to headed on your professional LinkedIn. <laughs> oh, um, but it is just one of those things where, again, like, we always disclaimer, like, hey, we pronounce things wrong. Like, we're goofy. We're just, like, here Unintentionally,
1: to... Unintentionally. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, we don't mean to pronounce things wrong.
0: Yeah. But, you know, we're, we're just here doing what we love, and it's starting to really, I think, take a bit of flight, and it's mm-hmm. fun. It's fun to see it grow. I've been having fun,
1: and, I yeah, I feel like we've turned a bit of a corner. Yeah. Um, so, all that said, if you haven't listened to the episode with the special edition with Dr. Emerson, go back and listen to it. He also, him and Kate McCaffrey, wrote the book mm-hmm. about their findings within a week yeah. of everything being re- released. Um, and you can go onto the Heaver Castle shop to to purchase it. So, right. Very cool. Also, I highly recommend History Hit. I just downloaded it because I wanted to watch this documentary. It's an
0: app, right? It's
1: a, yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's like a platform, I guess. Streaming and service. Streaming. Thank you. That's the yeah. word, streaming service. And it's all specific, owned by History Hit. A lot of like Susanna Lipscomb stuff. A lot of Dan Jones, right? Dave, um, a lot of Tracy Borman, Lucy Worsley. Um, so I don't know. I might keep my subscription. My I might keep my
0: subscription. Yes, mm-hmm. I like it. It's I've only cool. seen um, the documentaries with you, but I feel like I'm going to do this independently too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and Robbie's a history fan. I feel like we could dig up some things to watch in the off season. Yeah, for sure. Cool, exciting.
1: Um, so all this came announced with Thomas Cromwell's book of hours. Mm-hmm. Complete coincidence. Again, talk about just happenstance. I, I just felt like everything fell into place. Yes. There were some rocky weeks in our season when I was like, oh, sorry, we're late again. But everything is falling
0: (laughs) into place. place. Because it makes sense now, like, the timing of everything. Because for our final episode, we were planning, and we've been planning this for, like, two seasons. We've been
1: planning. Since, like,
0: October, we knew this is what we were going to do. Right. So our executionee of today is Thomas Cromwell. How appropriate. And, again, we had no idea of this research until a week ago. Uh, so it's just, yeah, one of those things that's, like, we can't believe, again, with the timing of it all. And so we're very excited. This is part one of two. Um, we always do, again, longer episodes mm-hmm. uh, for this uh, specific these specific stories. So, yeah. Thomas Cromwell. Is he our first dude?
1: That is actually funny.
0: Like, season
1: one yeah. was Mary Queen of Scots. Season two was Anne Boleyn. And season three was
0: uh, Jane Grey. Jane Grey. This is our first guy dude. who made it to a season finale. So, congratulations. Congratulations, Yay. Thomas Cromwell. Yay. It has been June
1: 2023.
0: Who would have known you'd have such a comeback? It's true. Who would have known we would have finally put men on the equal playing field of women? Such a comeback. In this day in and age? His, yeah.
1: <laughs> um Elizabeth is going to start with his early life. Yes. But just as a really, like, high-level overview, because if you're feeling, like, dumb because you don't know who Thomas Cromwell is, and we're like, everyone knows who he is, our it's apologies. Okay. Yeah, it's fine. It's okay. fine. Don't feel dumb. Just as, like, a very high-level overview, mm-hmm. um, he was part of the Privy Council of King Henry VIII and participated in a lot of King Henry VIII's legal decisions um, and, unfortunately, had a downfall. <laughs> so, very high-level. Yes. and
0: then. Elizabeth, kick it off with his early life. Absolutely. Um, and before we start with that, too, just wanted to say, again, like everyone who was kind of around King Henry VIII, we've seen this story time and time again where it's always a blazing rise to glory and then an awful downfall that usually ends at the blocks,
1: Just like Splash Mountain.
0: Exactly. Go up and then you go down so this part we're just going to be going through the little bayou scene little swamp scene with all the critters singing that's what this episode is (laughs) next episode is when we get to the The laughing place (laughs) is that an outdated reference now because they're doing away with uh, yeah i actually don't think we can well we can because it's history we can but we don't endorse it but if this podcast
1: (laughs) lives like 10 years down the road It'll be vintage sounding.
0: We'll have little to put one outdated. of those little disclaimers at the beginning. That's like this references outdated information. Just so you know, we
1: have Tiana's Bayou hasn't been built yet. So
0: I am very excited for that. Let's be clear, new chapter of our lives.
1: Should we just like make this into a Disney podcast?
0: um meets, like a little like we could put a little bit sub-series. of disney sparkle on it just, <laughs> just kidding okay <laughs> all right no more interruptions okay real for real this time we're starting. serious we're starting serious now.
1: pants with our humble pie where do you get this pants from? i don't know i just
0: i'm delirious Which I, is ironic because we're both not wearing pants right now these are pants well yeah but we went for a workout so we're not in like real clothes mm. anyway okay here we go. Okay. But actually, no,
1: time. we ate Subway for lunch. Oh, my God. Okay. Megan. I'm done. I'm sorry. Okay.
0: <laughs> okay. So Thomas Cromwell was born in 1485 in Putney, Surrey, near the Thames. We've come very far because we can now pronounce these things correctly. Season one, you were like
1: the Thames River. I was like, I think it's the Thames. I've never been to England, Megan. <laughs> At that point, neither had I. I yes. was just well-rounded. That's fine.
0: Um, But he was the son of uh, a guy named Walter Cromwell, who was actually a cloth merchant and who was the owner of an inn slash brewery. So kind of dabbled with a few different trades. There are some rumors that he was a blacksmith too, but that's kind of been debunked recently. They're not really sure if he was a blacksmith or if his last name was just associated with the word smith. So, But it is clear that he kind of had a few different trades to make money. And uh, Thomas's mother was a woman named Catherine Meverell. But there's not a lot of information on her. Most of his early life kind of centers around his relationship with his father. So Thomas's father was kind of known to be a bit violent, perhaps a bit of a drunk, perhaps a shady businessman. Um, And again, allegedly
1: all of this (laughs) allegedly
0: we're not entirely sure because a lot of historians are coming out relooking at his early life and saying, well, I think we're just misinterpreting some court records at this time because it was fairly common for people who were merchants or in his trade to have like certain allegations against them. So it might've just been more of a, like, I guess, occupational, um not hazard not hazard but you know it's like like something that comes with your occupation that just like you have to just deal with it if you're going to be an owner of around being a brewer yeah a person who does um who runs a brewery but supposedly
1: he was violent with his kids too
0: apparently but allegedly. again allegedly allegedly we're not entirely sure um but he did have quite a few uh people come at him for his quality of ale oh, that he no. was brewing people were upset saying that his ale was either watered down or substandard so that part was very clear whether it was intentionally or in inint- not intentionally <laughs> it's yeah. kind of funny i would be mad too he had a total
1: of 48 court fines just for that, just for having watered down beer,
0: right? <laughs> so, no wonder they were broke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's that's Walter in a nutshell. Um, but uh, Cromwell also kind of claimed that when he was young, he was a bit of a ruffian. So again, a little bit of a tougher upbringing. You know, they they weren't necessarily like poverty stricken, but they were just like, you know, they weren't a noble family. They were just trying to kind of get by and try different trades to see what worked for them. So I think. Cromwell learned a lot about maybe just being resourceful and perhaps, like, making decisions that are good for him in these young years and not necessarily about, like, morals or duty or Mm. anything like that. (laughs) I think it was more so just, like, you know, do what you can and what you have to do to get by. I want to know what they mean by a ruffian. Like, he started fights and – I feel like yeah, steel
1: maybe I don't know.
0: I was gonna say um, I feel like when you say ruffian, especially when you're younger, it implies like you like to get into yeah, trouble. Hoodlum. Yeah, like you stay out late. Like you know, maybe you get into fights at the bars or you, you drink underage graffiti
1: under the Tower Bridge. Sure,
0: yeah, they'll, they take all their spray cans in the in the 1400s <laughs> under sure, the bridges.
1: Sure, he did try to get his act straight though. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1503, he marched out with the French army as a mercenary. Right. Recently learned this word, which I <laughs> don't know I'm so shocked I should by. I like by that you're not.
0: embarrassed. I don't know how to pronounce the Thames River, but you don't know what a mercenary is.
1: For those who were in my boat just a few weeks ago, uh that is someone who gets. It's like paid soldier. Yes. Yeah.
0: You're like You don't believe in your cause or your country. Like you're you don't just, really want to be there. Yeah. You're, you're just getting just hired. Paid. You're a soldier you're for ready. hire. Contract. Yeah. And Contract I, work. I like when Megan asked me that. We were like prepping for um an episode, and she's like, "What? What's a mercenary?" And I was like, "Oh." Okay, but that's okay because that's what we're, we're all here to we're learn. are all here to learn. There's all certain things that maybe you know we heard and don't know what they we mean. We know the British
1: spelling of jail is G-A-O-L. It's not a gowl. We've come a long way. <laughs> we've ways. come a long way. Uh, so he's marching with the French army he goes all the way to Italy mm-hmm. to go fight in the Battle of Garliano. Perfect. It's Italian. Mm-hmm. The French um, were their allies, obviously, and we we're all going to go and fight the Italians. Mm-hmm. He actually kind of stays over there in Italy, though. Um, and sorry, really quick, to kind of describe his level. He was he was a bottom level. He wasn't really quite – he wasn't even a soldier with a gun. He was just the guy with, like, a pike, like a a pike, a spike? Yeah, sure, a pole, A pole pike. <laughs> um, yeah, with a, a pike and a helmet. And, again, like, not really – his heart wasn't in it, but – yeah, I mean, obviously he survived, so that's great. What and kind he,
0: of mercenary doesn't have a weapon? He had a pike. <laughs> a pike, I guess. Okay. But wasn't elevated to the status of gunman. <laughs> but in like a baseball bat he went in with. Stupid question, do they have guns in this era?
1: That might be a stupid <laughs> question, but I'm... I don't, don't know
0: your, the answer to that on
1: one either. Well, hold on. Let's think. This is 1503. We know that they had guns guns did they like the pirates the pirates of the caribbean had pistols (laughs) that's your reference no they had gun no okay let's be educated here
0: do you want to just google sir walter so,
1: Raleigh had didn't they get gunpowder wasn't that one of and that was in the 1600s okay that's okay a, that's a point while, that's a i'm sure someone is out there rolling their eyes right now like this is why do i fucking listen to these girls <laughs> like, everything else is out the window right hey we talked to dr owen emerson give us Damn break. I
0: like that when we literally started this episode. Invented. We started this episode by saying "Oh my we've come God. a long way. We know everything now. 1364? Was when the gun Fire was invented? Arms.
1: When was the actual first? Okay, around AD 1000. Okay. Um, They're saying 1364. Is when like a the pistol. The Chinese first invented the gunpowder. Interesting. I'm going to say they had... Did they have guns? They. <laughs> in 1500 England. They did have gunpowder. Oh, duh, the gunpowder plot. No, I know. I know. Okay, but, but that was 1600s. Right. That was early 1600s. But I'm
0: saying like the invention of a pistol because they obviously used yeah. gunpowder for other things.
1: Firearms appeared during the 14th century. Okay. The English started using guns. They had cannons in 1473. So that's what I
0: was going to say. Yeah. Like cannons was the kind of initial use. And then they had to get them smaller. Like how technology gets smaller and smaller all the time. It's like, it's like a cannon, but it's a gun.
1: The Spanish had rifles. And the <laughs> Italian – shut up. The Italian wars started in 1494. You know what? If think, anybody knows more about gun history –
0: I yeah. think that's more than we knew when we started. So that's okay, good. You know, we're all here to learn. Okay. Um, it's been our theme of the day. Anyway, mercenary, no gun, just a pike. Just a pike. We Go. don't know if the others have guns. <laughs> um, And he, so
1: this is 1503. Okay. And altogether, he actually ended up staying in Italy until 1514. Mm-hmm. He worked as an agent for the Archbishop bishop of york yep and sounded like kind of a prestigious title but he basically dealt with any um any issues between english and rome what was it called the, the
0: eccles what's the word ecclesisial um Ecclesis- i know what word you're thinking of i just don't know how to pronounce like it like
1: ecclesiastes <laughs> <laughs> can i just say it's also this is weird for us it's the afternoon and we've had zero alcohol this is just us We're so much better after a bottle of wine. I think we're better with wine. Yeah. This isn't going well. (laughs) It's going just fine. We're just Um, loopy. He did go back to England for a short period where he met his wife, and they were married in 1515. Yes. Her name was Elizabeth Wicks. Yep. She was a widow of a yeoman guard. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and the daughter of Henry
0: Wicks, who served as mm-hmm. gentleman usher to King Henry the Seventh,
1: so she did have some ties with royalty. Yes. And I felt like this is kind of one of his first examples of getting into with important people. I think, I think so. Marrying her in itself was
0: showing he's he's moving up. It's showing his level of ambition too. Yes. It's like he selected a wife with specific ties.
1: Yep. Um, but he did return back to Rome. And again, he stayed there for a few more years. Yeah, a few more years. He was mm-hmm. there for a 26 week trip. Mm-hmm. And in this trip, he learned a lot about the newest editions of the gospels. And he actually started doubting what he's been practicing all along as a Catholic. As a Catholic. Yeah. So they go back to England and he has three kids, Gregory and also known as Alice. Did you see that? Oh, How- I didn't. I thought it was just Anne. Some said Anne, some said Alice, some said Anne in parentheses or Ooh. Alice. <laughs> so,
0: so we don't know her name.
1: Doesn't matter. It was a girl, and it started with an A. Okay. Um, and Grace was the third one. Yes. Uh, kind of jumping ahead a little bit in the timeline, but just because it's related to his family life really sad in 15 between 1528 and 1529 Mm -hmm. both his wife and his two daughters all died within the year so they didn't even it wasn't even like they were all sick at once and died but they they believe it was the sweating sickness Mm -hmm. and as we've talked about in previous episodes the sweating sickness you could catch something before breakfast and be dead by dinner because you could show symptoms and die all within 24 hours. Right, and it was actually a disease that was attacking the higher no, like the higher nobility too, which was really bizarre. Mm-hmm. And. To me, that entire – like, thank God we don't have that anymore where
0: – Who knows what it actually – I know there's just as bad a thing. Sure. Yeah, but who knows but, what it actually was, too? Because it's just, like – there's so many things, obviously, that happen, like, you know, pandemics, epidemics, whatever. But it's like you have the Black Death. You have the plague. You have – Yeah. Um, you know, you have the sweating sickness. It's like I don't know how much of that transfers to modern, modern time or if we found a way to evolve against it, if it – is what we just know is the flu now, but it, because it was so it, severe. Yeah. Then it could killed it's just you. just how it
1: transformed over the hundreds of years. If
0: it's coronavirus. Like, <laughs> you know, when
1: you get like a tickle in your throat and you're like, Oh gosh, I hope it's not a cold. I hope it's not COVID. Yeah. And then back then, it's like you start off, you get a fever. You're like, well, this could either be just like a minor little flu right. or this could be the end of my
0: life within <laughs> by dinner. Cool. It's Talk true. About stressful. I always think about, um, Pride and Prejudice though, when like Jane, uh, Bennett, like, goes over to um, the estate next door, and she gets sick, and she has yeah. to stay there. Mm-hmm. And then the mom just goes, people do not die of colds. And I'm like, I guess maybe by then they beat the Hopefully colds. Hopefully not. <laughs>
1: um, he also had an illegitimate daughter named yes. Jane. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to really harp too much on her. We don't really care much. No, just kidding. Oh. But, no, but she did live with her with his family until she was nine,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: then um, went off and. In- Did her own thing.
0: Right. It was believed that um, the woman who who had Jane was like a house servant, but they kept everything very under wraps because – uh, it was very common for a lot of men to have mistresses at this time, but he obviously was a bit more pious and was determined to make more of himself, so he didn't really want to be known for his indiscretions. So they, even though this daughter was just kind of around, this, like, bastard daughter, they tried to keep as much, like, under wraps as they could about her and her mother and all of that. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting.
1: Yeah. So that's kind of his family life, and he's back in London.
0: Right. Um, So he um, eventually obtains a seat in the House of Commons, which is very exciting because he's finally getting what he wants. He's, like, moving up in the world. Mm -hmm. And he becomes an advisor to Thomas Gray. um, And he also maintained like a private legal practice on the side, which I was curious, like all of a sudden he's a lawyer.
1: Yeah, he kind of went through a lot of different careers.
0: Yeah, there was never anything in our research that said like, and now he like studied law. It's all of a sudden he's just – A lawyer. And he's in, like, public service. Well, he got into being – Out of kind of nowhere. Yeah,
1: he he worked as a mercantile for a little bit and was in the cloth trade. Like his dad. Like his dad. Right. And he was kind of making a name for himself in that industry. But then I think discovered he was actually pretty smart and could do more. Mm -hmm. And then he got into being a lawyer and
0: legal work. Right. D- that easy. I guess you could just choose just that path and go. <laughs> you
1: know I might
0: be a doctor tomorrow. So. Could be. <laughs> could be. Yes. I mean, you were a historian today, so. I
1: am currently still a historian who knows what <laughs> mercenaries are. Good. And now I know about guns. And
0: now we know all about the guns. <laughs> um, brilliant. Well... Uh, In 1524, he then became uh, a member of the household of Lord Chancellor Cardinal Wolsey, who we know. So this is when the story starts to get a bit more juicy, and he gets further and further into the inner circle. Um, So Wolsey had this goal of essentially, like, getting rid of some of the monasteries. And they were doing this, apparently, to, like fund wolsey's other ventures which is strange because <laughs> like wolsey was catholic so it's like interesting that they decided to prey on like catholic monasteries well
1: the guy i mean how religious and pious was he really
0: mm-hmm. wolsey
1: had nothing but like money signs in his eyes i feel like
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it was all to benefit um, yeah, his two colleges. So it was going towards education, right. I suppose, but also in a way for him to profit. Mm-hmm. Um, they were raising funds by shutting down these monasteries for the King's School and Cardinal College.
0: Mm, interesting. So yeah, a little hard to justify, but apparently they were able to do that back then. Um, but by 1529, Wolsey then appoints Cromwell uh, to his council as a senior advisor. So he kind of goes from being like an assistant to now he's like an esteemed advisor for Wolsey. So again, he at this point, how old is he? He's probably like that was
1: 1529. So yeah. his wife so just died and his kids died. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so he's like early 40s, I want to say. But they both got along fairly well, and I think a big reason for that was because their backgrounds were were quite similar. Um, Wolsey was the son of a butcher, so again, similar to uh, to Cromwell, just like not really born into nobility or with a ton of expectations of like what they're going to do in their futures. And here they are, like very powerful men in the Tudor court, you know, very close to the king, and quickly getting into the king's inner circle.
1: Yeah, I was that. that I guess that was. For a long time, not normal for someone to raise to rise through the ranks coming from working class. Mm-hmm. And this was kind of the start of that. And I, I think the rest of the people in the court weren't used to that. They didn't really appreciate that or respect somebody like Woolsey or or Cromwell. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden you're like, dude, you're the son of a butcher. And now all of a sudden yeah. you're telling me what to do and you're making these big decisions and you're shutting down monasteries. And, right. Which, by the way, they shut down at that time yeah. 30,000 monasteries. Jeez. Like, we're not just talking about a couple here, a couple there. Right.
0: It was pretty widespread. Um, But, of course, and again, we're – like, there's a lot that goes into this, but we're escalating the timeline a bit because there's a lot more information to cover. But by October 1529, uh, Wolsey starts to kind of fall from his power. Mm -hmm. Um, He starts to kind of develop some friction with the king Uh Um, I know. And now Cromwell, because he's so close with Wolsey, is starting to have enemies as as well. But he was really determined not to, like, fall with his master. Uh, He he successfully overcame Wolsey's shadow. And ironically, it wasn't because because he really distanced himself from Wolsey. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like he was like, oh, I don't know what that guy's doing and I don't believe anything he believes. Sorry for that monastery thing. He actually – he gained trust back from people because he still kind of remained loyal to Wolsey a bit, saying, like, well – you know, I'm still loyal to him. He's my friend. He's my advisor. But I understand, like, where he went wrong. So people kind of respected that mm-hmm. he didn't just abandon his friend in the time where his friend started to slip. He was like, well, I, I, you know, I still kind of, you know, like, like value him as a person. And, you know, we still had a great time together type of thing. And Which people, is nice. Yeah. And people
1: really, like, respected that, I think. And the king respected that, too. Mm-hmm. And, and like, actually, like, look at that
0: loyalty. Wow. Yeah.
1: And, and Woolsey was... Losing faith, um, or was losing the king's faith because he couldn't figure out the annulment between him and Catherine, between King Henry VIII and Catherine of Aragon. Exactly. Amongst other things. Right. But I think King Henry VIII was getting incredibly frustrated by the lack of progress with the king's great matter. Mm-hmm. Um, again, like just to recap, very high, high overview. Yeah, yeah, high level. King Henry VIII has been married to Catherine of Aragon almost 20 years. Mm-hmm. And now that he has eyes for Anne Boleyn, he's determined to make her his second wife. And he's counting on his legal counsel in Woolsey and his privy council to figure out how are you going to do this. Right. And they were trying to take different angles and eventually landed on, well, the the marriage was always illegitimate because Catherine supposedly – um consummated her marriage with King Henry VIII's brother Arthur who died shortly after they were married and then Catherine went on to marry Henry mm-hmm. but Catherine always stood firm saying no I never consummated it we weren't married that long we were so young and he was sick
0: right um so it, it's still like the age old question we don't we don't know right. um, exactly um, so by the end of 1530, uh, Thomas Cromwell became a, a clear favorite of the king. You know, Wolsey goes down. I think the king's kind of looking for like who's going to fill this void in terms of people he can trust. So he, um, so Cromwell was appointed to the Privy Council, and he just got like a slew of titles. Like all of a sudden, he's very well known. Um, one of his biggest titles was he became the Master of the King's Jewel House. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like fun. I know. And
1: he did get to go to the Crown Jewels Hour at the, still to this day, at the Tower of London. Right. Which is cool. Which Megan Claussen's father was protecting during yeah. the last um, coronation. Oh, so cool. I know. Hey, you know, really quick, sorry, not to interrupt yeah, too much, but I was just thinking, you know what kind of, I guess it's, I shouldn't be so grim, but what's kind of unfortunate? What? Woolsey never turned into an execution story for us. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Bummer. <laughs> I think
1: he could have been because well, he was I think arrested. He, got, he
0: was arrested and then he got sick, He right? got sick and he so. never
1: made it through to like a trial and execution. He died of natural causes before yeah. anything else. Don't refer to the Showtime's The Tudors because they – make him take himself out with the knife, remember? I was going to
0: say, yeah. And didn't happen. And it's, it's, it is unfortunate, though, because in whenever we do research in this specific period, I always think of, like, oh, I can't wait to do a Wolsey episode. Yeah. And we just nope can't have one. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe we can take a different direction someday or inform you guys of his story in another way, which we're kind of doing in this episode. We yeah, kind of are, yeah. But, yeah. We can do an alternate
1: universe, like, if Wolsey didn't get sick. Oh, my gosh. But in Like in case that. You,
0: yeah, but in case you were wondering, like, well, he keeps saying downfall.
1: Was he executed? No. No, he actually wasn't. Probably you know? would have been. Right, could have, should have, would have.
0: <laughs> Megan's really disappointed he wasn't taken to the block. Uh, That's okay. Tudors did it, you know, did a dramatic. I guess we got
1: a few others. Here. Dramatic reenactment. Speaking of executions, let's talk about Anne Boleyn.
0: Oh, <laughs> perfect. Um, well, by uh, and again, I know we're kind of going in and out of timeline a little bit, but we're trying to keep it. We're trying to keep it kind of. uh thematic, I suppose, rather than an exact timeline. But by 1527, Henry was trying to divorce Catherine of Aragon um, to get rid of her and essentially restart his life with Anne Boleyn. So um, once Cromwell is kind of in power and he's in the House of Commons, he has these titles, he starts to persuade the House of Commons to make Henry the only head, sovereign lord, protector, and defender of the crown. So basically, he's like, we have to make this whole head of the Church of England thing come about. It was a bit of a domino effect. Mm-hmm. You get him
1: to be the head of the church. You get him to make his own decisions. Remove England from the Catholic Church right, of from Rome. Rome. They yeah. now are the Church of England. Oh, cool, Henry, you are all powerful. Go get your divorce. Yeah, Do go you want.
0: annul your marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: and. Thomas Cromwell really impressed King Henry VIII during this entire – well, that era was called the King's Great Matter. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thomas More, my relative and my buddy. I know. (laughs) My great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, so many – probably 15 greats, 16 greats. Yeah. um, He was a big enemy of Thomas Cromwell, Mm -hmm. naturally, because Thomas More never betrayed his Catholic roots and at this point Thomas Cromwell is forcing everybody to sign the oath of succession which is just formalizing that hey you all agree with this new plan right Mm -hmm." and Thomas More as well as Bishop Fisher both refused to do this and Cromwell saw it as a huge success and a huge win on his side when he got Thomas More to step down, remove his title, and then eventually was arrested and executed for not going along with all of these rules that really Cromwell's putting in place. Right. Yeah, it's King Henry VIII, but Cromwell's his voice. Cromwell mm-hmm. is his counsel. He's giving him the legal advice and he's got, he has Henry in his ear. Yeah. It's like, whose decisions are this? And and I think this is where, like, in a way, they have to make Henry feel powerful and fluff, fluff up his feathers and make him believe that the ideas are his. Right. But Anne Boleyn did the same thing. She was also doing the, you know. You stroke the ego. Yeah. you were like, hey, but. You put these you know, ideas
0: in his head. Just
1: put this book here. Maybe you read that. Oh, that's a great idea. And I'm like, oh, well. Wow.
0: Um, <laughs> the woman is the neck.
1: You're right. <laughs> so Thomas Cromwell, yes, had enemies. Right. Anne Boleyn would have been considered an ally right now because he's helping her get onto the throne.
0: Exactly. So initially they were very close, like Cromwell and Anne, uh, because, again, they had the same goal of, like, getting rid of Catherine of Aragon, uh, getting Anne Boleyn on the throne, and, again, converting once-Catholic England into more Protestant England, into a reformist England. Um, So there's a lot of moving pieces here, and this is, again, around, like, the early 1530s. Um, and so Parliament is interrupted, again, Thomas More leaves, uh, and then all of a sudden Cromwell, he actually has like a thank you from Henry.
1: <laughs> I yeah. thought
0: this was so funny. Well, thank you, Karina. As a thank you, yeah, Henry actually gives Cromwell um, Edward Stafford's manor. And if you remember from season four, episode five. Oh, you know the episode. I did, I wrote it down. We, um, we did a whole episode just on Edward Stafford and his execution, the third bu- book, the third Duke of Buckingham. Buckingham. Exactly. So, it, like, it's so strange to me when they do things like that. They're like, "Oh, I just executed this guy who was my friend. Do you want his house?" And it's <laughs> always like, I guess, don't you feel a little bit they like confiscated? Like you feel a little bit like you're inheriting walking this... in dead man's shoes. You're or literally, something? yeah. Well, the same with Wolsey, mm-hmm. not necessarily.
1: He wasn't executed,
0: but... Yeah, not because he
1: was executed. Hampton Court Palace was Woolsey's very nice... Do we even call it a house? His castle? His palace? Mm -hmm. Why the Cardinal had his own palace? you know. <laughs>
0: all the all the monastery money. Yeah, and Henry mm-hmm. kind of moves it like, oh, this is nice. I think I'll make this my palace. Right. It's such an interesting time in history when you could just like confiscate manners and give them to other people and remove titles and give Zero titles. Zero
1: shame. Yeah. That's what would happen at work when at somebody, work. <laughs> yeah, when someone gets let go and then you like get their desk, you're like, oh. I mean yes. it's a nice desk I've got the good view now like, yes. I've got a good office space but then you're like again walking in dead man's
0: shoes you're just like mm, this feels a little bit like I'm walking on someone's exactly. space here so, a little some bit some ghosts in that area it's not like you're the first one to ever be here um, but you know we're all humans and we all get excited for stuff like that so Cromwell's like sweet like I'm at the peak of my power now um, so so he finally gets again Anne Boleyn on the throne Henry and Anne are married on January twenty. 25th 1533 and like all's good in the world cromwell's feeling good anne's feeling good henry's feeling good uh they're this new reformist england the church of england um and uh he gets another new title again he just gets thrown yeah, titles out constantly up, up, up. Um, but his new title is a principal secretary and chief minister um, and they even enact more formal legislation to break ties with rome officially like in all capacities because i feel like it was always just steps. And you see a lot of that, like throughout mm-hmm. um, the late 1520s, early 1530s, where it's like, okay, Rome, we're warning you. Okay, this is like, you know, mm-hmm. this is it. No, this is really it. No, now we're actually not going to do anything with you. So it's always this, like, like moving further and further away. But uh, apparently, that was kind of the official end of it. Ties are broken with Rome.
1: With this new title as chief minister, he is making bank mm-hmm. at the peak of his power. 1537 it was estimated that he was making about 12,000 pounds per year which in today's money that would have been about 3.5 million dollar salary a year year in pounds sure which is pretty similar to usd but he was a millionaire in those times oh yeah and the equivalents of Mm -hmm. so i mean he's yeah
0: he's riding a good ride right now exactly um and at this point Again, poor Anne Boleyn, we've already covered her in many different stories, but things start to not go her way. Like Mm -hmm. once she's on the crown or excuse me, on the throne, things start to happen that like within a couple years, she starts to not do so hot either. So at this point, Anne, who once considered Cromwell an ally who helped her get on the throne, is now clashing with him. So it kind of did. I think the initial feud was over. Um, Again, more money that was being taken from the churches. And Anne said, well, if we're taking this money, like, we should be reinvesting this money into charity and to education. And, like, Mm -hmm. why is all this money just going into the king's coffers? Like, we're just taking all this money to, like, fatten our wallets? and Cromwell's like, "Well, yeah.
1: <laughs> you want that 3.5 million dollar right. annual salary?
0: So do I." Exactly. So so Cromwell you know has no problem with this, but Anne starts to kind of speak up and say, "No, no, no. If we're taking this money, you know, we said we would reform England, like not make it worse. We're not greedy. Like this needs to go somewhere else." And that's where initially the tensions start to rise between Anne and Cromwell. And then separately, Anne also is starting to have tensions with Henry mm-hmm. because she's not producing the son she promised him, she said, if you break up with Catherine of who's been your wife forever, for decades, like, and you get with me, like, I'm younger, I'm fitter, like, I'm going to, like, have many sons for you. So he falls for this, marries her, and then nothing. Yeah. Miscarriages. Like, he's clearly starting to see other women on the side once again, because he's always has a wandering eye. And then the straw that broke the camel's back, and we think it's probably Cromwell. Cromwell goes to King Henry VIII and says, hey, I think she's actually cheating on you. I think she's having her own affairs. And quickly, Henry, who's super paranoid and only wants a son, and is starting to look at Miss Jane Seymour, says, okay, these might just be rumors, but you, Cromwell, are going to be the one that moves forward with the proceedings against Anne Boleyn.
1: (laughs) Just going back a moment, I love this concept of Anne being of the two of them, the charitable, (laughs) the sympathetic, the empathetic individual that she really was. Mm -hmm. And I know we've talked about this before, but just the terrible reputation that she's had throughout history that really I'm a strong believer that cromwell contributed to yes she wasn't i mean yeah she had a temper yeah she was a forward-thinking strong woman ahead she of her time had her own
0: opinions and spoke she her had mind. her own opinions yeah. but it's so
1: overlooked that yes and was really a huge advocate for charities mm-hmm. and for especially for protestant causes but education Mm -hmm. she had scholarships she wanted to see people also rise up Mm -hmm. and make something of themselves and i just again like i i see anne as that person who's trying to do good in the world right despite the reputation that she has of being you know the the evil
0: the mistress yeah yeah.
1: the the evil concubine of the throne Mm -hmm. and then there's cromwell who's just i scrooge mcduck money signs in his (laughs) eyes and and it is interesting too because i think i I, I also i also have to check myself is that just the the version of history that they're feeding us that cromwell's this evil person because he had so many enemies Mm -hmm. um for anyone who's read Hilary mantle's trilogy wolf hall which was also turned into the show Hilary Mantle has the amazing trilogy all through the perspective of Thomas Cromwell. Mm -hmm. I have to say, Bring Up the Bodies, the second one, Mm. which is kind of... Bring Up the Bodies is this era that we're talking about right now Mm -hmm. of Anne Boleyn's rise and downfall. The best, in my opinion, like the best written execution description, like execution scene of Anne Boleyn. (sighs) But but where I'm getting at with all of this is Hilary Mantle painted him in a very different picture. She... It made him soft and caring and understanding and mm. i mean he's the protagonist in it and and in that in her version is the evil one that the, everybody claims that you know she was so right. i don't know i have to check myself because was that a possibility yeah we yeah. were not there but I, I don't know i just envisioned him as the as the antagonist in this whole
0: story right and I think we talked about this in the Anne Boleyn episode too but it's like you know well, this is history this isn't you know a movie so it's like one of those things where characters are a bit undefined in real life mm-hmm. like all of us have you know shades of light and dark and like good thoughts and good intentions and bad thoughts and bad intentions so it's like you know everyone in these stories in these times are, they're so much more complex than just like Or are they innately good or innately bad? Like, do they just want power and money? Or are they actually, like, you know, charitable and and looking to do something good in the world? Like, maybe it's a bit of both. Maybe it's different at different times depending on how comfortable they feel in their personal situation.
1: Are you a good witch or a bad witch? (laughs) Maybe a little bit more than (laughs) one or the other. Right. Um, And as we all know, Anne Boleyn met her downfall with her execution on May 19th, 1536, Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone can really deny Cromwell orchestrated so much of that. Yeah. And I the, the fact that he went from being allies with Anne Boleyn to not, to taking her out, mm-hmm. he's out for himself. He's going to do whatever King Henry VIII wants or whatever's going to make him look good. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And it, it's funny because even just talking to Dr. Owen Emerson about it, mm-hmm. our buddy, um, you know, we, we brought that up of like – you know, no one I think intended for Anne to die right away. I think it was more like we just need to get them divorced, like get her out of Cut the her scene. Out of here. You know, and who knows who like when push came to shove and when it was officially like, oh no, she's going to be executed. But again, I think Com- Cromwell is largely responsible for all of this going down as it did. And uh, you know,
1: I love it when Doctor Emerson's like that was kind of like the oh shit moment. Exactly. Like oh, we didn't mean for it to go this far. <laughs> right? Can we
0: just put her in like. Uh, a convent somewhere i know you just sent catherine Aragon off to a convent to like die alone it's like but poor Anne. it's like oh man did that really have to come to all that um so it, it definitely sent a shock wave throughout um throughout all of england and nobody was safe at that point um not that anyone was before there was plenty of executions of people mm-hmm. of nobility before this first queen of england though mm-hmm. for it to touch her that's true um, and then immediately after, who replaces Anne's father, Thomas Boleyn, as Lord Privy Seal? Thomas, Thomas Cromwell. Cromwell. July
1: 1536, not even three major, yeah, three months yeah. later mm-hmm. from Anne's death to now, he's a baron. Yep. Yeah, he's the Baron Cromwell British, of Wimbledon. The most British title, <laughs> Baron Cromwell of Wimbledon, the most yeah.
0: British title I've ever heard of. Exactly, I love it. So this is his official peak because he's he's given Henry everything Henry wants. You know, Henry wanted his divorce with um, uh, with Catherine. Catherine. He got that. Then he wanted you know Anne Boleyn to be out of the picture. He got that. Like he wants to be head of the Church of England. Like he got that. Like it's basically. Um, I'm trying to think of the word for it. Uh, I feel like Cromwell was like the fixer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if you've seen, like, a show like, uh, what is it, Scandal or whatever, they have, like, people that are professional fixers. Like, you come to them with your problems. you Make this happen. Yeah, like a powerful we politician. We don't care how you do
1: it. Just do just, it. Just, like,
0: I don't care how messy it gets. I don't care what you have to do. But, like, make this happen. I just
1: picture Henry as this giant, fat toddler going around, making a mess
0: everywhere he goes. Yeah. and Carmel's like just like <laughs> Picking up after him and yeah. trying to make things right. Right. He's uh, just like, I want that woman. I want that thing. You, you can have this manner yeah. if you do it. And uh, Cromwell was just his very loyal servant, just so eager to please yes, and master. get his money. Whatever
1: you need, master. Yeah. He's
0: like the snake from Robin Hood. I love that. Sir
1: Hiss. Sir, Sir His name. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know his name was Sir His. Sir His is a cute name. For uh, the snake. That is a cute name. Um, yeah. So Cromwell, then, after getting Anne out of the castle, quite literally. Right. Um, you know, then Jane Seymour is there and he's done all that, and very sadly, you know, had a, had things have just worked out, had Jane have survived the birth of Edward, mm-hmm. who knows what would have happened? I mean, so many what-ifs, so many different, you know, what if Anne Boleyn had a son? What if right. anybody had a son? Like, it's just always interesting to think of what an alternate reality could have looked like, but um, sadly, Jane Seymour dies from childbirth in 1537, mm-hmm. and I think this is a good place to end it because Cromwell has just hit the peak of his power. Right. And what comes up must come down.
0: Must come down. Yep. And uh, we'll continue next time with what that downfall looks like, how it starts. Again, he's done everything for Henry that he possibly could. So it's like, what does he try to do next for Henry that ultimately fails? it's so a nice cliffhanger oh, i'm excited to leave you for next time oh dang and next time we'll have you know half a bottle of wine first and maybe like we'll do an go. evening recording <laughs> <laughs> oh elizabeth any final words not until next time